Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. The overcomer. And uh, actually next week, uh, Pastor Dave is going to talk a little bit about the overcomer in the last days. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you don't want to miss that. He's going to be here teaching on Bible prophecy, the book of Revelation, and what uh, the things that we're seeing today in our nation and what we're seeing around the world, how, that is, how is that being played out in the Word of God. He's going to take a step-by-step through that, and uh, you don't want to miss it. For those of you that come a little bit late, uh, I announced that, and, and I, I'm going to push it because I really believe if you have a lost loved one, someone uh, who is lost, who don't know Christ, man, next Thursday would be the night uh, to come. I mean, he's just going to lay it out uh, as it should be. And uh, I believe, and I don't know about you, but I believe we're, we're, we're living in the last days. And I believe we've entered into that season. We've entered into that season. Uh, and how long that is, I don't know. But I, I truly believe that the Lord is preparing His church for Him to return. And so, uh, you know, who knows? Um, we can never put a timetable on the Lord. And uh, because the truth is, you know, the Bible tells us that there's times that our days can be extended through righteousness. And so we just pray that, you know, uh, who knows what God may do. Um, you know, I wanted to, I'm going to be in Genesis 26 in just a minute, but I want to open tonight with, I uh, just want to share a little bit of my heart tonight. And there's a passage of scripture that came to me this week, and it came to me in my devotion. And when it came to me, uh, uh, it came to me, and I began to think about a friend of mine, and I thought that maybe the Lord had given me this word for him. And so I called him earlier this week to let him know that I was praying for him and that I felt like the Lord had given me a word for him, and I shared the word for him. Of course, he received it, and, uh, but as I began to, to meditate on it, uh, it began to get in my spirit, and I think that it's not just a word for him, but it's a word for us also. And so uh, I just want to share it with you tonight, and I want to share it with you. Before that, I want to set it up just a little bit. You know, uh, I've been fortunate enough, and uh, as a pastor, I've been fortunate enough to have been a part of a real revival. And uh, when I say reveal, real revival, I'm not talking about a series of meetings or talking about uh, what I'm talking about is a real move of God. And uh, uh, over the course when in 1994, there was a revival that hit our home church. And for one of the course of one year, uh, we had church every night. It was a very powerful thing. It was sovereign. It wasn't drummed up. It wasn't made up. God met us on a Sunday morning and a Sunday afternoon. And it began there. Uh, that Sunday service went on into the evening service that night. And, and it, that lasted every day for a year. There were a few days uh, that we had taken off, I guess, for holidays and for uh, there were a, a few Saturdays that were, were off. But almost every night for a year, uh, those church services went on. Now, over the course of that year, I saw some things that I'll never forget that I saw. And when you experience real revival, you really struggle with going back to what is mundane. How many know when you have an encounter with God, you struggle to go back to what, uh, what was just mundane. And, and I found that in the course of that year, the Lord showed me some things that I just could never forget. And uh, what happened was it was, like a, 
it was like a well opened up in that church. And it was like a well opened up. And we saw some incredible things. We saw people touched in some unusual ways. We saw powerful salvations. We saw healings that took place. And uh, uh, there were a couple people that were healed that there was no way, even in my mind, I thought, God, there is no way you could have done that unless that had been you. I mean, they were manifested healings that were very strong. We saw even a few signs and wonders, which, um, you know, it just, it just amazes what God does. But here's, here's what, what was amazing to me. This is what I noticed. Actually, I called Brother Keith today because I wanted to make sure that, you know, uh, that what I'm saying tonight is, is what I saw, what I heard. And, and um, we were talking today, and, uh, and he began to tell me, he said, one of the things, uh, and one of the things I noticed is that when the, word, when the revival hit the church, when God's presence hits the church, immediately he noticed that there were adversarial spirits that were released and began to attack the church. When God moved on that Sunday morning and church lasted all day into the evening service and people were getting touched and delivered and freed, he said the very next day the church began to be attacked. And he said it wasn't just attacked, it was attacked. And he said that went on for one year, over one year that that went on. But not only was that adversarial spirit released against the church, what he began to see is that there were people that were attacked also. There were good people that were attacked in the midst of that revival, in the midst of that moving. And over the course of seven years that that revival went on, off and on, uh, a few times a week, and then eventually into just one night, Friday nights, would they continue on. But good people began to be attacked. And they weren't just attacked, but uh, he told me, he says, it was battles that they had never fought before. It was battles that came against their life that they, it was almost as if it was something that happened that they just weren't aware of. They were just unaware of it. And so he said it was like every week, blow by blow, that as God would move in the services, that in the natural, people were fighting these battles. The church was fighting these battles. It was blow by blow. And what happened was the Spirit of God fell and a well opened up in that church and people were being touched, but the enemy didn't like it. And, and, and the enemy did not want to finish, want to be done what was God was getting ready to do there. And, uh, uh, and so it was this battle, this fight that was going on. Matter of fact, it extended to the point to where uh, there was a lot of people that left the church because revival became very uncomfortable for some people. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? We say we want revival, but I, when people say that, I'm telling you, revival sometimes is not what you think revival is because revival can be messy. It can be uncomfortable. It can be, it'll challenge your commitment to God and your walk with God. And what happened is I began to see, we began to see people flow out of that church. They were uncomfortable with the move of God. Too many services a week, too much going on, too much, you got to hear the same complaints that, that you hear, uh, you know, too much of this, too much of that. All of a sudden they began to flow. Uh, there were uh, 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 folks that left and went to 
uh, actually there were three different churches that they flowed into. And uh, of course, uh, the good thing is, is that we helped build three churches. <laughs> so one church closed down. Two churches are going strong. One of them right now is probably one of the great churches in America uh, there in Florence now. And, uh, and so uh, they flowed into different churches. And so uh, you say, well, what do you mean by an adversarial spirit? Well, an adversarial spirit is, that, is this, is that it's, it's that thing that disputes uh, everything that God has for your life. It's when the enemy comes against, uh, comes against you, it war against you, it wars against God's purpose for your life, it undermines what God has spoken to you and what God is doing in your life. And believe me, when you begin to move forward in anything that God has for you, whether as a church or an individual, the enemy will fight you. There will be a fight. How many know the devil don't fight fair? And so the enemy is going to fight. When you do something that's going to be worthy of attention or worthy of what God is doing, the, uh, the adversary will come and, he, and he, he will come against. And so um, what happened was is that uh, all of a sudden that fresh touch that people were having, all of a sudden now they were entering into battles they never fought before. They were having to, to fight for things that they didn't really need to fight for. And the interesting thing was, is I've learned over the years that when that comes, you know you're headed in the right direction. You know that you're headed in the right direction. When the enemy begins to fight something new that God's doing in your life, something fresh in your life, and the enemy all of a sudden begins to come at you, that's a sign you're probably headed in the right direction. And what happens is, is that through all of that, what that did, I asked him, I said, well, what did that do for the church? He said, the great thing was, is that it drove people to prayer and intercession. And the thing that happens with, when the enemy fights or the enemy comes against something God is doing is that, is that a lot of times when you have uh, uh, things that come against your life, sometimes it will drive you to prayer. It'll drive you to pray harder. It'll drive you to seek God at a greater hunger towards God. And it'll drive you to the place to where uh, and to pray and to pray like you've never prayed before. And so this week while um, I had uh, been thinking about the passage of Scripture in the book of Genesis chapter 26 and as I was doing devotions, I also came across a passage of Scripture that I thought was pretty powerful and it's in uh, uh, Psalms chapter 7 and verse 17. It says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing the praises of, of the name of the Lord Most High. In other words, uh, when the enemy begins to attack, when that adversarial spirit, that accusing spirit comes against you, and, and it's amazing. And as I read that passage, and all of a sudden I began to read that chapter. And when I began to read that chapter, I went back to verse 11. It says, God is a just God, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword and bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself uh, in instruments or death and makes his arrows into fiery shafts. 
But verse 14, behold, the wicked bring forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He, he, he made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he himself has made. His trouble shall return upon his own head, and his violence and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own crown. And then, then in verse 17, I will praise the Lord according to his loving kindness. And what this passage spoke to me is this, is that, is that when the enemy comes against you, God is on your side. And that if God be for you, who can be against you? And if the enemy is fighting for you. And so I read that passage, and it was a great passage, and I drew encouragement from it because I know that the enemy prepares to destroy us, but what God does is he turns what the enemy has prepared for us to fall upon his head and his crown and turns it around. But let me read, read it to you in the message and the paraphrase of the message. This is what it says beginning in verse 11. No one gets by with anything. God is already in action. The, his sword is honed uh, with his whetstone, his bow strung, an arrow uh, also. Lethal weapons are in his hand. Each arrow is a flaming missile. Look at that guy. It said he is pregnant with evil. Oh, look, he's having a baby, a lie baby, it says. See the man shoveling day after day, digging and concealing his man trap down and lonely stretch of road. Go back and look again, and you will see him uh, in it head first, legs waving in the breeze. That's what happens. Mischief backfires. Violence boomerangs. I'm, and here's verse 17. I'm thankful. I'm thanking God who makes things right. I'm singing the, the fame of the heaven of God who is most high. How many know that's a great, powerful scripture when the adversary is fighting you and coming against you? That if God is for you, God uh, will stand for you. And so when the adversary comes against us and he comes against the brethren, he loves to accuse the brethren. And so your enemies is God's enemies. And your adversaries are there to destroy the work that God has done in your life. That's what the adversary is there for, to destroy the work that which God has done in your life. And so when I was converted and I got saved, there was the joy of my conversion. How many know it was a great joy when you got saved? But all of a sudden, shortly after I got saved, all of a sudden I started fighting battles I never fought before. And I thought, man, I had more peace when I was unsaved. <laughs> I've got all these battles now. I'm a Christian, and all of a sudden, I'm fighting things that I never fought before, and all of a sudden, i got these battles, and I've not been saved very long, and all of a sudden, I've got all of this coming at me. I'm thinking, man, this is, this is, this is something. But, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had that trouble, but then I used to think, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? It's not that you're doing wrong. Is that now there is a treasure inside of you when you got saved that God wants to bring forth and the enemy does not want you to walk in anything that God has for you. And so he's going to fight it. He's going to fight that and he's going to try to come against anything, uh, the will of God that he has for your life. In other words, when you got saved, you became a threat to the devil. 
The destiny that is in you became a threat to the devil. As you sit here tonight, the destiny that God has on your life, the, 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 the call that he has on your life that is in you, all of that is there because the enemy knows that if you fulfill that in your life, you will be a threat to the kingdom of hell. And how many are thankful that God has a plan for all of us? But he has a plan also for his church. He has a plan also for, for you and for me. And when we, when we walk right with God, we become a threat to the adversary. And the thing is, is that when churches walk out the will of God, they become a threat to the kingdom of darkness and where they are. And so when churches begin to, to allow God to move and allow God to have his way, then we become a threat to the kingdom of, of darkness outside of our four walls. But be sure that if you begin to do and fulfill that call, surely the adversary will try to come against the work that you're trying to do and the work that he wants you to do. But I want you to go to, to the book of Genesis chapter 26, and I want to read this passage. Now, I've read this passage several times. And I've read through it, and I thought, that's an awesome, awesome passage. I've read it through it before and said, that's nice. And, uh, and you can find great revelation there. But I believe that this is one of those passages in Scripture that becomes a wealth of treasure, not just for a sermon, but there's some things you can pull out of this passage that can be a part of your life, that can be a part of how you go forward and the understanding of a of lifetime, There can be some things that, principles that God can teach us in this passage that we can hang on to for a lifetime in our life. Now, Isaac, here in the book of Genesis, we have the story of Isaac. Now, Isaac was an in interesting because uh, he lived in the shadow of his father uh, in the past, but he also lived in the shadow of his son going forward. And so Isaac didn't make a lot of great decisions. Uh, Isaac at times stumbled in a lot of ways. But this is the only chapter that is designated specifically just for Isaac. This is the only chapter that has been designated just for him. And matter of fact, it's one of the true passages of Scripture where we see Isaac walking in true victory and walking in, in a place of true dependence upon God. Let's begin reading in chapter and verse uh, 15, and we'll begin there, and then we'll, we'll go down through a couple of passages, and then we'll, we'll go get through uh, the scripture there. Now the Philistines stopped up the wells which, the, which his father's servant had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth, with the earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than us. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by names which his father had called them. Verse 19, And Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well running water, a well of running water there. Verse 20, but the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, 
saying, The water is ours. And so he called the name of the well Essek because they quarreled with him there. Now Isaac went on to dig uh, many more wells. And so I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. And uh, when God begins to move personally in our life as individuals, it's almost like we become a well. When we get saved and come into the kingdom of God, it's like, uh, it's like the Old Testament principle that wells was a source of water by the way of digging in the earth. And what happens is when a well is dug uh, in the Old Testament, they would dig a well and God would fill it with water. And what happens is when we get saved, we become a well that God fills with the water of the washing of his word. And the Bible says that out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water that shall flow out of us. And so we kind of are like a well. And what happens is there's the flow of living water that flows out of our life that is the touch other people. And when the well begins to flow and and that begins to happen in your life, be sure the enemy, just like the Philistines, will come by and try to fill your well with dirt and fill it up so he could stop the flow of the water of God's uh, work in your life from flowing to touch others. And so the enemy comes in to destroy. He comes in to, to destroy. And the church is a place where living waters should flow and bring life to people. Is that not right? So th- should we as a church not be like a well? Should we not have living waters that flow from this church, that flow into the lives of people, that help make a difference in the lives of others? And believe me, when you become a well, or you become uh, used by God, or you open up a well, the enemy is going to do everything he can to throw dirt on that well, to clog that well up, and keep that well from flowing like that well should flow. And just as he will try to do that in your life. And so God has done great things at wells. Matter of fact, in Scripture, there's some very powerful things that have happened at wells. Matter of fact, promises have been found at wells. The Bible said that Isaac's servant found his wife at a well. It was there that the promise of Isaac's wife was found at a well. Promises are found at well. You can find your destiny at a well. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 2, Moses was watering, uh, showed up at a well, and it was there that he met his destiny. It was there that he met his father-in-law. It was there that he met his destiny. You can meet your destiny at a well. It says that in the book of John chapter 4, it said you can find find salvation at a well. How many know that the woman came to the well and Jesus was sitting by the well? And when he came, Jesus began to minister to her. And when she left, she was there to seek natural water, but when she left, she had found spiritual water. And she ran into the city. She said, come see a man who told me all about myself. She won her city. And so salvation can be found at wells. And so if the church is a well, if the church is the outflow of a well, the representation of life-giving water that satisfies the life of those that seek God, then there should be promise at the well. 
There should be a, a destiny found at the well. There should be salvation found at the well. And so we should always dig wells. Wells were sources of life. Wells were places where shepherds would bring their sheep to drink. If we're a well as a church, this should be a place where the shepherd can bring the sheep to drink and where the sheep can drink and be satisfied and be filled and where the sheep can come and they can be uh, refreshed and be re-strengthened again. And so we are a well. We should be a well. But the truth is that when you begin to take that position as a well and begin to be that place that is a wellspring for your community or be a wellspring for those, what happens is, is that sometimes the enemy will show up and he will come to try to throw earth on what God is doing. The adversary will come and try to stop up the well and, 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 and all of a sudden people will come and, and, and there will be contention. There will be all these things. But the truth is, is that it's God's desire that not only you individually become a well, but this church is a well to the community. That there should be flowing life that comes out of here. Now the Bible says in verse 18, it says, And Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of, his, of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the name which his father had called them. Isaac went and began to dig, began to dig again the well of his father, the well of Abraham. And the Philistines, after the death of Abraham, the Philistines had covered them up. After his death, they had, after the death of his father, they began to cover those wells up. And what we see is, is that Isaac began to redig those old wells, and he also not only began to dig the old wells, but he also began to dig new wells. In other words, what God does when we are a church that is a well and we're individually as wells, sometimes we have to redig the wells of life that have been covered up by the enemy. How many know that we can look to the past of the miracles in which God had done as a source of strength, but also we can't just be people who live in the past, but we also have to be people who dig wells for the future. You hear what I'm saying? How many are thankful for what God does in the past? I'm thankful for the history of this church. I'm thankful for what God has done in seven years, in seven and a half years. I'm thankful for what the price that was paid for what we have right now, right? And we have to remind ourselves there's a source of strength to look back and say that God did this and God did that. That can build our faith, but we also have to dig wells for the future. We can't just live on what used to be. We've got to dig wells so that others can come and drink at the well. And so Isaac began to dig, and he began to dig. Now listen. Isaac had no trouble in the land except for the fact until he began digging wells. Matter of fact, he moved into that land. The Bible said that he sowed into the land. And the first part of the chapter says he sowed in the land. He became very prosperous. Matter of fact, he, he, he lived in the land. Now, the Philistines weren't happy that he was there. Uh, they weren't happy about that he was there. But there was no contention. 
Because Isaac wasn't a threat to them. Isaac wasn't a threat to the Philistines. He wasn't a threat to the enemy. Why? Because he wasn't digging a well. He wasn't digging something that was a life source. And I want to tell you, a lot of churches can survive in communities if they don't ever dig wells. If they other just become satisfied with what is there and they don't disturb the community, they don't deter, overturn what is, what is there and what is, they don't challenge the spirit of that city. They don't challenge the spirit of what's in the city or what's in the people. They don't, they don't talk about homosexuality or they don't talk about purity or they don't talk about living right or they don't talk. Listen, you can dwell in places with the enemy and be at peace as long as you don't dig wells. But when you start digging wells, all of a sudden the enemy is afraid because what you're digging is you're digging a life source for people to come and to, and to live in and to live off of and find life. Now here's what, we, what we, we know by studying the passage. The Philistines didn't live by the wells. Philistines lived out of cisterns. And what happened was is that cisterns were built for the Philistines and the people in the region had to come to the Philistines to get water. They controlled the water source. And when Isaac began to dig the wells of his father, all of a sudden these life-giving wells became a threat to what was established there in that region. And I'm here to tell you that when you begin to dig wells that begin to allow people to come and drink from, and people to get free from, and people to drink and be satisfied from, and it's contrary to what the status quo is where you are, you're going to have contention. You're going to have a battle. And the reason why that Isaac dug wells was because the cistern water was stale. How many know the world, the Philistines represent the world, how many know the world, everything it offers is stale? Everything it offers is stale. Everything it offers will go bad. But how many know that you dig a fresh well, you begin to drink out of a fresh well, it's like new life when that fresh water hits your lips. Now, I don't know if you've ever drank from a well. Uh, when I was a kid, we came up here to Indiana, up in Cedar Grove, up on the Whitewater River, and the only water we had was a well, and my job was when we come to the campground as kids, my father would make me prime the well. And if we hadn't been there in a few months or we hadn't been there in a long time, it took a lot of water to prime that well. I would sit there and, and, and pour water in there and siphon that and push and push and, 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 you know, and I'd sweat and I'd do it and I'd almost be like, oh, I don't want to do this. This is ridiculous. You know, and why can't we just call in the, like normal people and get running water? Because there was people that had campgrounds that had running water. <laughs> and I was like, why are we so backwards and hillbilly? Why do we got to eat and live out of a well? And, uh, and so, but once that well got flowing, that was the best tasting water you could taste. It was cold. It was fresh. It was refreshing. And so a well can be a thing. It could be a threat to, to what it was is when Isaac didn't have any problems until he began to dig wells. I'm telling you, if you dig the well of revival, you're going to have contention. You dig the well of healing or breakthrough or truth. You dig the well of, of, of 
of worship or prayer or evangelism, believe me, somebody is going to come against the contention of that well and begin, and all of a sudden, when Isaac dug the well, what did the Philistines do when he dug the well? They began to throw earth upon the well. They began to throw earth into the well. They began to, to throw earth into the well. And, and there's a couple of things I want you to see in this story. First of all, I want you to see that a well without water becomes a prison. A well without water becomes a prison. Back in the ancient days, even in Jerusalem, when, uh, and what would happen is, is that when a well stopped producing water and it would fill with the earth, what happened is they would make a prison out of it. Do you remember the story of Joseph who was thrown into a pit? He was really thrown into a waterless well is what he was thrown into. Do you remember the, the well that Jeremiah was thrown into, the dry well that Jeremiah was thrown into? He was thrown into a well. And so when a child of God allows the world to pour earth on top of the, the well of life in him, when he allows the enemy to plug up his well, then what happens is internally he begins to live in a prison. And what happens is when, when there's no wells for people to drink from, wells become prisons. And so the wells would become prisons. Wells would become places of where there would be no life. The life source would be dried up. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer, right? And what they did was they didn't make it a house of prayer. Jesus said, you've made it a den of thieves. They've allowed the enemy to come in and take what was supposed to be life-giving, and it became useless because what happened was it dried up. It became a den of thieves. It became a prison. It became a hiding place for the enemy. And when the well of life doesn't flow through your life, and you become dry, and the enemy continues to throw dirt on your well, eventually your well will dry up, and you will become imprisoned by the dirt and the earth that is thrown in the deep depths of your well. In other words, the enemy, God just doesn't want us to live by our history, which is our memories, but he also wants us to live by our destiny, which is our dreams and callings also. But the enemy's plan is to make a prison out of the house of God and to keep people. Listen, the enemy don't care that we have churches. He just don't want us impacting anybody. He don't want the region changed or the city changed or the, the, the area changed. He just wants to keep us from flowing into what God wants for us. In other words, the enemy is shoveling the dirt. And anytime your well is opened up, the enemy, the adversary will come and shovel dirt on your well. It may be the dirt of your past. It may be the dirt of what you're vulnerable to send to. It may be the dirt. He may be, he may be trying to throw dirt. And if you give him permission to throw dirt on it, what will happen is your well will dry up. And your well will come to the place to where your well is dried up and it's not used by God. Your well will become a prison. How many, I don't want, listen, when churches dry up, they become prisons. Y'all hearing me tonight? When churches dry up and they're not wells, they become prisons for tradition. They become prisons for preferences and prisons 
for those who personalities who control and those who, 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 who decide who can drink from the well. They decide who can drink and who can get saved and who can do this and who can do that. I'm here to tell you that when God opens up a well, there's room for all to drink. There's plenty for all. And so a well becomes a prison if it dries up. Number two, I want you to notice that at wells, as I had mentioned earlier, at wells, wells are places of relationships and they're places of connection. In the scripture, as I mentioned, Isaac and Moses and, and those found their wives at the well. They found their brides at the well. But wells were places of meeting places. They were places that would gather and were relationships. The woman at the well, she was coming uh, at noonday to draw water. But the Bible tells us that she came at noon because during the morning hours, that many of those would gather at the well and she did not want to be seen, talked about, or heard about. But wells was gathering places. Wells were places of relationship. Wells were places that men gathered and, and people gathered and there was, there was strength found there. There was, there was things that were, were gathered there and when there was a flowing well, there was relationships. How many know that a flowing well in our life would produce good relationships? A well flowing in the church will produce discipleship. It'll be a gathering place. It'll be a place where people can gather and be refreshed and have relationship. It should be a place where we gather and we be strengthened by one another and strengthened by. It's the place where the bride would gather. You know, you know why uh, uh, Isaac's wife was found at a well? You know why? Uh, uh, because what would happen is the maidens who were single would go to the wells. And the reason was is when the Bedouins would come through or when the men would come through to drink, the available women would be there drawing water. It was a place to find your bride. It was the gathering hole to find your bride. And so if you ain't married, find a well. You might find a bride standing there. I don't know. But the point is this. The point is, wherever there's a well, there's a gathering place. Whatever there's a well, there's relationship. I want to tell you that, I don't know about you, I've known churches that don't have relationships. I've been in churches I've preached, and five minutes after I preached, everybody was gone. I mean, you're standing there by yourself. And if there wasn't a custodian, you'd be the one turning the lights out. I mean, I've preached in churches like that where people didn't like each other. They didn't want to be around each other. They only went because, they, because it's what they do and what they did. Man, here on Sunday morning, I got to run. We got to run all y'all out. That's a good thing, isn't it? I know Adam stands in the back, out in the foyer, pacing, wondering when all the ladies up front are going to stop talking and everybody that's gathering in the foyer is going to stop talking and leave and when... You know, when Doug Hobbs is going to stop talking and politicking, I'm just teasing. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> but he talks to everybody. Why? A well should be a gathering place. A well should be a place where relationships are strong. 
And what happens is the reason why churches lose their power is because the enemy comes in and destroys the relationships by throwing dirt on the well and clogging up the flow of the well of life that comes into relationships. And then finally, there's the dirt. Now, you know, it's interesting. Why were the Philistines using dirt? Why didn't they use rocks? Why didn't they... Why didn't they uh, uh, use other, other things to clog up the well. I thought it was interesting. If, um, if I go out to, to Samantha and Jeff's farm and I get a bunch of dirt and I walk into your house and I spread that dirt on your bed or on your living room floor all over, if I just pour dirt in there and then I take those soybean seeds and I throw them into your living room carpet, and I water it, hoping that there's going to be something that comes up. It, it, will it, it won't come up, will it? Probably not a good chance that there's going to be a germination, that there's going to be something that comes up. Probably not a good chance. But if I go out into the soil, that same dirt, if it's in its right place, and I sow the seed in that soil where it's supposed to be, and I put seed in there, and I water it, then something's going to germinate and it's going to produce fruit, right? And what happens is what dirt represents is, is something that is not that's outside the boundary of what it's supposed to be. Dirt that clogs up a well is something that is supposed, that is something, it, is, it, it could be soil, it could be a good thing, but the thing is because it's outside the bounds of what it's supposed to be used for, it becomes, now it becomes something that destroys. You say, well, give me an example. Okay, I'll give you an example. Sex inside of marriage is good. That's good soil. Sex outside of marriage is not. That's dirty. Okay, all right. That didn't go very well. Bad analogy, I guess. What it does is anything that's outside the bounds of God's best. And what the enemy does is he'll take dirt and throw it on the well, and the dirt represents anything that is not God's best for your life. And what happens is, because the soil is on the water and clogs the water, nothing can grow there. But if you keep the well unplugged and there's the rushing of the water of the well, that water could water the soil of your life, and there could be fruit in your life. But if there's dirt in your well, there'll be no fruit. And so the dirt hinders and keeps, keeps the soil from growing. It plugs, it, it plugs up what the, look, the parables that Jesus used. What did he say in the parable of Matthew 13 when he talked about the parable of the seed and the sower? What did he say? The soil represented the what? Represented the heart, right? And when the seed was sown in the good soil, it produced good fruit. But if the dirt is plugging up your well, then you don't have soil for seed to be sown in. And the water can't water the soil of your life, and there cannot be fruit that runs through your life. And so the fruit of your life, all of a sudden that fruit does not begin to grow. And so we notice that God wants our wells to be unplugged wants our wells to be fruitful and flowing. Adam, if you'll come, I'm going to 
finish this up real quickly because I didn't get to what I really wanted to get to. And uh, the Bible tells us that down in chapter and verse 19... We see that Isaac began to dug again. In verse 19, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water, living water. In other words, he found. In other words, he discovered. In other words, he, he found again. He, he redigged in an old place. He redigged in a place where he knew there was water. He redigged in a place that had once flowed with water. But now it was plugged up. And sometimes we, like Isaac, he rediscovered something. He rediscovered a well that had been plugged up. And what happens is we as individuals and sometimes as churches, we lose some things that represent living water in our life. And sometimes we have to rediscover truth again. And dig, redig the well of truth. Sometimes we have to redig the well of certain principles of revelation, of faith. Sometimes we have to redig the well of faith. You know, churches can begin with great faith, and then all of a sudden they lose that ability to believe God. And the enemy comes in and he attacks and he covers it up and it's filled up. And like Isaac, we knew where he knows where that was. But he has to redig it again. And maybe sometimes you got to redig your well. Maybe there's faith that's down inside there that had been there at one time, but the enemy had covered it up. And if you'll let God and the Holy Spirit redig the well of your life, you'll rediscover that again. You'll rediscover hope and peace and love again. You'll rediscover purpose again. Maybe you came into Christianity with a bang and with excitement. And all of a sudden, the adversary came against you because he knew the treasure that was inside of you and began to cover you up with dirt. And all of a sudden, that soil that God wanted to use for fruit now became the dirt that covered up the well of your life. And there's not been a water flow in your life. And you got to rediscover what it is to fall in love with Jesus again. Rediscover what it is to have faith again or fall in love with it. It's been buried by tradition or buried by trial. Unbelief has crept in. And I thought, man, here's a 4,000 year old story that's happened in a very small place. That is such a big revelation to the church. And I didn't get through all this message, but I know this. Sometimes you just got to go redigging the wells. You just got to start redigging where God left off. Redigging where you where you let down or where you stopped and where you thought God was finished with you. God wasn't finished with you. God wasn't done with you. God still wants to you. You just got to rediscover the treasure that's in you. You just got to rediscover that well again. Redig that well again. Redig the well of power. Sometimes churches have to redig the well of power again. Redig the well of holiness and prayer. Redig the well of unity. Redig the well of joy. 
redig the well of preaching salvation. Maybe you need to redig the well of your prayer life, reading of the word. Maybe you need to redig the well of your, your love for God, the heart of evangelism. Maybe God just wants again to uncover his purpose for your life. And the enemy keeps trying to throw dirt on it. In closing, Isaac dug the first well he dug. The Philistines came and tried to cover it up. And the Bible says that the name of that well means contention. It means, actually it means contentious. Or contentious, it means, uh, the root word is, is covetousness. The Philistines came that represent the world and they kept saying, this is not your well. This well belongs to us. In other words, they were trying to determine who the well belonged to. And what happens is wells get clogged up when we start calling wells our well. I'm telling you, if there's an open flow in your life and the river of living water is flowing through you, it's nothing you did, it's everything God has done. And when you start calling your well yours, all of a sudden there'll be contention at that well because the enemy will be standing right there to fight you for it. And that's what happens. We have made warfare at the wells. We have become covetous over what we think is our good doing when really we have to recognize that God is the one that has given us everything we have. God is the one that's responsible for the blessing. Any victory we have has nothing to do with us. It has to do with Him. Every blessing, everything we have belongs to God. And when we start calling it ours, we're on the wrong track. The enemy's going to start covering that well up. And there'll be contention there. There'll be dispute there. There'll be strife there. And he dug and he dug and he dug and he dug. The second well that he dug... The meaning became, was, was, it means hatred. It was the well of hatred. The Philistines tried to cover that well up. The word actually means opposition, to lie in wait. Opposition to truth, to lie in wait as an adversary. It's where the word adversary is where Satan gets his word. Some wells are wells of opposition. Go ahead and just stand for righteousness and purity in the hour we live in. You're going to have some opposition. Y'all hear what I'm saying? I'm telling you, the world now hates you. It's getting to the place now, things are going to be targeted toward Christians. I'm just telling you. I mean, but we have to deal with it right. We have to deal with it with boldness, and we have to deal with it with love. We have to deal with the times we have to love and times we have to be bold. <laughs> times we have to... You know, sometimes there's times you just have to answer that Facebook. I had an aunt yesterday throw a bunch of stuff on Facebook. She's my aunt. The only reason I answered her was because she was my aunt. Somebody else I wouldn't have answered. She got the mocking Christians, telling Christians, you know, you're judgmental, you're this. And I just went off. And she called, she called my mom. No, but I was tired of it. I said, I, you know, I said, you're not going to come on my page and bully me. 
And I just, you know, and it was, it was contentious. It was contentious. Why? Because it was warfare for truth. It was, it, was a, it was a warfare at the well. You know? I don't normally do that. I don't normally fight people on fa- You know, like, what's that accomplish? Arguments usually don't come to anything. Right? I mean, you never win. You know, just, you know. The, the only thing I regret is that a bunch of other people got in there and started defending me and defending her, and then it became like a whole group fight. And I thought, well, that's not good either. So I just took the whole thing off the page. And I just, like, just erased it all. I just got rid of it all. But I want to tell you, there's a day coming. People are going to question your Christian. Stand for something that's biblical. Stand for, some, stand for something that's, I mean, stand for, stand for something that's righteous. Stand for something. Open up the well. Open up the well of purity and begin to talk about that God has created marriage for a man and a woman. Just open that up at your job. Just open that well up and see what happens. Just open up the well of living right or making godly decisions. There'll be contention. Stand with me if you would. And finally, the last well that Isaac opened up, the Bible said, the Bible said that the Philistines did not contend with him. It said they left him alone. And it became a well. It became a well. They, 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 didn't, they didn't even strive for it. It was a picture of the carelessness of the world. Listen, when Jesus remained strong, when he was tempted in the, in the garden, the Bible said Satan left him for another season. The Bible says resist the devil, and what will he do? He'll flee. And Isaac kept digging wells and kept digging and digging and digging, and the Philistines got tired of fighting and fighting, and he had God on his side, and they just gave up. In other words, they just, well, let him have it. Let him have it. Let him have it. It's like the carelessness that they approach the things of God with in life. And then the end of the chapter, what you begin to see is, is that God's blessing came on Isaac. And Isaac, after the wells, the contention stopped. All of a sudden, the last well was the well of Raboth. It meant there's room for all. I'm telling you, we're going to have to contend for the well. We're going to have to contend for being a church that allows living water to flow into a community. You're going to have to contend for the well of your heart and the well of your life. And God blessed Isaac. God told him to fear not. God was with him. It's God's protection. He told him to, I am with thee. That's God's presence. He said, I will bless you and multiply your seed. That's God's, that's, God's, that's God's promise. And he began to worship. And so in closing tonight, as we close, we got one minute. Let's just spend a minute and just worship a minute. Thank God for the well, for the open well that you have. Maybe you just need to unplug your well. Maybe you just need to unplug it tonight. Just lift your hands to the Lord. And let's just sing. Adam, let's just sing a, a phrase or two, just a little bit of worship before we leave tonight. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.